I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. We have a bonus episode here featuring three-time guest, Paul Comfort. Paul is, yeah, he appeared twice, uh, twice before one long firm interview, another one when he had... Uh, a book come out, a children's book um, on public transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and beyond. And now he joins to speak about conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. His latest book uh, out, this is early 2023, out out now. Um, we also talk about, we also catch up on a few other topics. We talk about trends heading into 2023 in the public transportation space. If you aren't familiar, Paul Paul Comfort is a uh, veteran of transit and government industries. He was CEO of the Maryland Transit Administration, um, has had several other leadership roles, both in the public and private space, uh, now in consulting business, and uh, has the Transit Unplugged podcast, which is wildly popular for um yeah, transportation topics similar to some of what I talk about here, but I'll talk, but um, primarily focused on public transportation. Also has the book "The Future of Public Transportation," and uh, yeah, done done a lot of cool things. So it's great, great to have Paul back on. Um, yeah, talking about his book, talking about other things that are um, on his mind, trends in the industry, and all that type of thing. So uh, yeah, I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Paul Comfort. Today, I'm joined again by a special guest here, Paul Comfort. Paul, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I think uh, exciting announcement and book and, and topic that you're, you're covering, but uh, also just great to reconnect. So Paul's, for, for those who haven't listened, uh, this is third time on the Future Mobility Podcast and a uh, select group of people in in that uh, in that category for sure. And uh, always, always you have great things to talk about. So with that said, so we're recording this on January third, twenty twenty three, or early, looking into the new year. Um, what, what, what do you, how are you thinking about public transit? What do you see? What do you see as key trends? How do you see, see things evolving as we start off here in twenty twenty three? 
Well, thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate being uh, in one of the uh, the honoree roles of three times. The reason I am interested in coming back on your show is I think the work you're doing is amazing and your podcast is great. Uh, and so thank you for the opportunity to share. Yeah. So on, on my podcast, Transit Unplugged, I talk to uh, senior executives, mostly of transit systems. Uh, and I've spoken at, you know, 120 conferences and events over the last 18 months or so around the world. And so in my inductive way of thinking, I'm constantly pulling together what I think are, you know, themes and trends, et cetera. So coming out of 2022, obviously here in the U.S., one of the big trends was implementing the new Transportation Reauthorization Act, the infrastructure bill, which included, you know, our five-year reauthorization act. So a lot of transit systems were, you know, try applying for grant funds, doing a lot of capital, uh, heavy capital on that. Uh, there's a lot of competitive grants now through the FTA. So that's been a big one. Zero emission buses, obviously, has been big over the year. It's mm -hmm. been primarily electric, but now we're seeing a push to a new trend, and that is hydrogen. Hydrogen is peaking right now, Brandon, all over the world. Uh, transit agencies are looking into, hey, how can I do hydrogen? Some are even some manufacturers like Toyota on pickup trucks are talking about, you know, the ability to manufacture hydrogen on the vehicle. So you don't have to necessarily always fuel up. Another big issue uh, is equity and inclusion in public transportation coming out of the year. I know we're going to spend some time talking about my book of the same topic. Uh, and then, of course, recruiting drivers and mechanics coming out of the mm. pandemic. Uh, people, you know, the changing work demographics have really uh, altered transit agencies' abilities to get drivers and mechanics. It's funny. I was in London a month or so ago and talking with uh, Ann Graham, the CEO of uh, the Irish National Republican Transportation or the Irish um, – uh, National Transportation Authority. And she said, Paul, we've got all kinds of things we want to do, but we can't get enough drivers. And the month before that, I was in Denver and they told me the same thing. And so it's become a big issue. And so that's been a hot topic. And then um, getting passengers back onto transit, people are trying microtransit, integrated transit networks, rebooting bus works. And coming into 2023, I'd say the hot three trends right now today, as you and I are talking, is hydrogen through zero emission, electric still big and way in advance of hydrogen. But, you know, they just had a big summit in Monaco led by, you know, our friend um, John Rassant, uh, head of commotion, where they really transit agents are picking up on it. Then fairing. There seems to be a debate now. Um, Washington, D.C. City Council just put $42 million in the budget and they're going to pay for free transit if you get on the bus in D.C. starting next July. Kansas City, mm -hmm. of course, under Robbie Mack and his leadership did that before. L.A. is talking about doing it versus other agencies are talking about ramping up fair enforcement as the funds from uh, all the relief acts dry up here in the U.S. And so it's a yeah. nice debate. I think I'm actually going to host a debate at our Think Transit conference in uh, Nashville in April on that topic. And then the last big trend is safety, safety on transit in LA. I was just with um, the, the CEO of LA Metro at Commotion, and she's you know mentioned that especially safety and perceived safety for women riding transit is a super hot topic right now. And so those are some of the big trends as we head into 2023 for public transportation. Yeah, fascinating there. And just to, to some of the things I heard there, I mean, certainly decarbonization, right, which that's a huge around this future mobility podcast, I do. That's a, a huge topic. Um, the, the little more nuance in the public transit space. So thinking about, I mean, this fairing topic, we, we could talk for, I think, a long time. So excited. Let me know uh, when when that comes out, because that'll be an interesting debate, kind of looking at the role of what is public transportation for, really, and how, and how should it be funded? And those types, is it a service you're providing, or is it a, a revenue generating machine or whatever? Right. Um, Right. Re really interesting topics there as well as the, the safety and um, utilization and such. But uh, yeah, I know to, to this, this this book you came out, I think is, is really interesting. It comes with a, 
it comes at a great time. So I just had um, just had re- recently a great discussion with uh, Janet Walker Ford about yeah, I saw that. Um, about equity and inclusion and felt felt like I was just scratching the surface. So I'm excited to get your thoughts. Um, so you, you pulled together this book, right? Conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. Um, the, first of all, can you share a bit about the approach? Because I think the approach is, is interesting, the way that you um, that you came about this. And what would, why did you choose to dive into this topic, given all that you know is going on in this industry? Yeah, sure. So a little background on the book. Uh, the, uh, the book is... Um, really a culmination of conversations that I had with over 20 top transit leaders around the country. And and was one in Australia, Uh, a friend of mine, Tilly Loper, who's general manager at Metro Trains Melbourne. Um, But it's primarily a North American focused product. Um, And as I, traveled the country over the last year or so and you know coming out of um out of the pandemic i felt like transit agencies and i spell this out in the preface to the book transit agencies really had a um an inflection point right uh having been a ceo of a transit system as you know brandon i was um in baltimore i was the general manager of the transit system there and ceo of the maryland transit administration and um Transit agency, I've been doing this for over 30 years, transit agencies have primarily been focused on increased ridership. That's been their number one KPI as measured you know, by APTA, et cetera. They've seen that over the last years. That's how we measure our success. How we measure our own uh, improvement is, did we have more riders than last year? Almost like we're a business, right? Where we want more customers, where we want more whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, commuter trains, commuter buses in particular, uh, we're a big focus of seeing increases in ridership and talking about the fairing side of things. The fares on those services largely were higher because they felt like commuters could afford more, uh, what they call traditional white collar professional workers going from the suburbs into what I call the big tall buildings in, in our downtowns, right? Uh, and so they had a higher fare box recovery ratio. I know when I ran Mark Train Service uh, from you know uh, Western Maryland and uh, Baltimore into Washington, D.C., you know, our fare recovery ratio was over 50%. And ridership was growing and everything was great. And that was a focus. But then during the pandemic, when ridership declined dramatically, especially on commuter services, where they were decimated, you know, 95% reduction in ridership uh, on commuter buses. And I used to run 350 motor coaches into DC, Baltimore, and Annapolis. And uh, a lot of those routes were canceled because no one, literally almost no one was riding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think transit agencies had a moment to reflect on what is our reason to exist? Uh, because, you know, the history of transit, as everybody knows, probably, uh, but just to give you 30 seconds on that, right, public transportation was largely run by for-profit um, utility companies. Uh, when the light rail systems came on, the tram systems with the electric wires overhead, so the power company in your city most likely ran your tram system in your city back in the 1950s. When everybody came back from World War II and ridership was at its peak in public transit, uh, these utility companies saw this, their monopolies as a way to you know, sell more power, right? They're buying power from themselves and also provide transportation. In the 1970s, when Europe and in the 80s, when Mark Maggie Thatcher was privatizing transit in, in England, over here, just the opposite was happening. Uh, transit agencies were... Um, transit companies, sorry, were going bankrupt because ridership had declined because people had shifted from public transit to cars. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... Uh, over about a five to 10 year period, most uh, 
private companies and utility companies sold off their assets to city governments, state governments, or state governments combined, like at WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. And they said, we're going to create a multi-jurisdictional compact to operate public transportation in our region, and we'll contribute tax dollars to it. that we supplemented by fare recovery and also by ads and other ways we can make revenue and by parking at our stations. And so that model has worked for 40 years, Brandon. Public transit agencies have had a monopoly on transit for 40 years. And then, you know, in the early 2010s, when Uber, Lyft, and these other companies came into cities and, and microtransit, um, they started taking away the choice riders. Uh, and so transit agencies saw a decrease in ridership. And I remember 2016, the APTA Public Transit CEO conference that I attended down in Florida, everybody's hair was on fire. What are we going to do? You know, ridership is declining. We don't see an end in sight. And, um, you know, it took Nat Ford, the head of, uh, who was the head of APTA at the time, you know, runs now um, Jacksonville Transit, one of our, mm -hmm. what I would call, you know, um, uh, what would I call him? A prophet or or something in our industry. Also you know? a past uh, Future Mobility podcast guest. He was, yeah, he was yeah. one of the early guys I got to talk to. Great, great discussion with Matt. Yeah, great guy. He's been a, a mentor to me some over the years as well. And um, But he came up with, you know, basically, you know, we have to embrace this new mobility and we have to change the role of transit agencies from just the mobility providers to the mobility aggregators. And so we started doing that, bringing in Uber, Lyft, and all these other companies, Via, and, mm. and uh, you know, microtransit, uh, bikes and scooters and all that and started aggregating them under one umbrella and the, and the city transit agency kind of became the organizing entity instead of just the provider and we saw that work and and then the bus reboots that tom lambert did in houston in 2015 and 16 and then in 17 seven more cities did it and saw increase in ridership 18 more in 2019 even new york city saw an increase the overall industry was up and then bam COVID hit and ridership plummeted dramatically and so transit agencies had a moment to reflect circling back on this to put a bow around it. And I think what we came up with was our primary reason to exist maybe no longer is to see an increase in ridership year over year because we don't see that happening. There's a missing 20% gap in most cities, even today, uh, on the public bus service where they're just not getting above 80%. And I just I just interviewed uh, on my year-end podcast um, the, C the, the Secretary General of UITP, you know, Mohammed Mezgani, who said it's the same thing all over the world, right? We're seeing this 20% gap as people are sticking with their hybrid work schedules, a three-day city, Tuesday through Thursday, et cetera. And so transit agencies said, well, we can do more than just see an increase in commuter riders. We can actually promote what you just call decarbonization, what I call is environmental stewardship, because I see it as even a larger responsibility of society to you know, protect and steward mm -hmm. our overall environment, not just the air, but the water and everything else. Uh, and so transit is perfectly situated to you know do that. And so we're doing it through electric buses, but through a lot of other ways as well. And then also uh, on the on the kind of social equity side, um, transit agency said we can use this vehicle, pun intended, of public transportation to improve equity and inclusion in our communities, which is why you saw a big push and you're still seeing a big push towards zero fares and things like that. A way to make sure that folks who need it the most, who need the biggest kind of handout, right? So to, not hand out, hand up, so to speak. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, get it through. And we view transit maybe not so much as a user subsidized service like a local county uh, golf course subsidized uh, by the by just the people who use it but instead see it more like education parks things like that where it's it's a um 
it's a public service for everyone. And uh, while we may still charge for commuters to go longer distances uh, for the downtown services, I mean, just today in the Baltimore Sun newspaper, there was an editorial about our new governor, Westmore in Maryland, where I live. You know, why don't you make this new you know, line across the city uh, a BRT and make it free? Uh, and as a way to promote equity inclusion. So that's that's a long answer, Brandon, but that's the reason why I decided to talk to people who are doing it right, in my opinion, right now. You know, guys mm-hmm. like Alex Wiggins in, in New Orleans or uh, Terry White, both of who just retired, uh, but who are doing it right in their cities about promoting, using transit to promote equity inclusion, to talk to them about what they're doing right now. And there was no other book on the market yet. I talked to several publishers who were working on books, but they were have 11-month lead timelines, and I wanted to beat every book to the market. So instead of writing it myself and what I thought was happening, I just decided to talk to the folks, turn our conversations into transcripts, clean them up some, make them fun, uh, present them in a fun way, and maybe we can get information out to the industry that way. And the the story you tell. So first of all, thank you for that background. There's a lot of stuff that I, I didn't realize there, and I imagine there's uh, listeners too. I mean, it's, it's great to hear kind of how this system has evolved. And it's, it's interesting too, kind of during the pandemic, it's um, so I'm, I'm just one person, right? An anecdotal story here, but my, my perspective has evolved as well. And that even when I started this podcast, I had it, it was defined as I'm interested in safe and sustainable mobility, which not a bad place to start. But as I realized right. talking about it, there, there's more to it than this. And ultimately the words that I've chosen in my own mind are safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible, which maybe that's maybe that's sloppy, maybe it covered certainly equity and inclusion is one of the big pieces of like, you know, there's, there's more to transportation than simply not polluting and right, not killing right. people, right? There's there's, right, like the, yeah. there's a service that we're trying to provide here. There's a, we're Absolutely. trying to move people, provide a means for people moving around and uh, yeah, doing that in an equitable fashion is, is hugely important. So thinking about the, the way you approach this, talking to people in the industry, what, so you already had your own perspectives, I'm sure coming in this year, as you mentioned, you've had a tremendous role in this industry for some time, but what did you learn from, from the discussions? What, what are kind of the key things that stood out of how these leaders around the, the world are, are thinking about equity and inclusion? Yeah. The first one, Brandon, that came to me as I started researching it more is the one I wrote my chapter in the book on. I only wrote one chapter in the preface. Everybody else, you know, it's just conversation. And my chapter was on how microtransit is a way to promote equity inclusion. So here's what's happening. Uh, Coming out of the pandemic, transit agencies are once again rebooting their fixed route bus networks to meet the needs of today's customer. Uh, You know, remember, most transit agencies are smart enough to realize that people aren't buying it, we shouldn't be selling it. So on the routes where there was no riders, you know, commuter routes, uh, some of the buses, the motor coaches that we contract with, et cetera. Um, they've reduced those routes, reduced the numbers, reduced the headways, et cetera. And uh, they were looking at ways to uh, promote transit, maybe in an, even in areas where uh, transit deserts had existed. So that's what, you know, MJ Maynard was doing in Vegas when I interviewed her for our television show back in February, Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube. She said, Paul, we're using some of this money from Washington to try a microtransit pilot in areas where they've never had transit before. There's not enough demand right now, obviously, to merit a 40-foot bus running out there. But maybe we can send you know, a minivan out on a shared ride and pick some people up. Um, so uh, that was one area. And then another one was, as we shift the bus routes around, let's say there's not enough justification because most transit agencies have now come up with minimum standards. Right, We need to have so many people ride a route in order for it to make sense. So many passengers per hour, our productivity rate. So if it doesn't make sense, we shouldn't be running a bus on that. We should be spending that money on routes where more people can be served. It's what, you know, Jarrett Walker talks about, you know, um, 
um, you've got coverage uh, versus um, I forget the other word crap, but I just interviewed him about this, but you know, you've got these dual, these uh, competing dueling priorities, getting more coverage versus more people riding. In other words, you've got a longer, bigger area, but you can only spread your money so far. So if you have to move a bus route off a street or off a certain area, because there wasn't enough uh, ridership, maybe you don't leave anybody disenfranchised by sending a microtransit vehicle and creating a zone where you say, we're going to provide microtransit on demand. You call and we'll try to get the vehicle, you know, through our algorithms and our software to get and pick you up and do a shared ride trip. You may not, it's not like a taxi ride. You're not getting it by yourself, but you pick up two or three people and we take them where they want to go. It's, you know, it's how I started my career. I started my career working for a department of aging where we had van service and bus service that we call a deviated fixed route back then. And we would move the bus around within a certain zone to pick people up as long as it didn't throw us too far off our schedule. I was doing that 25 years ago uh, here in Queen Anne's County, Maryland. And so um, microtransit, once again, can be used to promote equity and inclusion to include people. You know, I always use this as my little story. You know, Aunt Susan still has a bridge game on Tuesday nights, but you're not running the bus after 6 p.m. anymore on that route. Now she doesn't have any way to get there. So send a microtransit vehicle to pick her up. So microtransit was one of the first kind of um, aha moments I had, how that that kind of trend, which we were already doing, is also a great way to ensure that no one is left behind. Uh, and then uh, another really interesting, just simple thing to do came to me as I was interviewing um, Julie Tim. At the time, she was CEO in Richmond, Virginia. Now she's CEO of um, at GRTC. Now she's CEO of Sound Transit in Seattle. And she actually was on my end of year podcast too. They're the agency with probably the, maybe the next to the biggest or the biggest capital budget in America. I think it's $7 billion or something. But um, she told me in Richmond, what she was doing was she said, Paul, you know, all the bus shelters where people can sit underneath the roof with light, they're all like in the downtown area of Richmond for the professional workers. But people who live out in the community, maybe in communities of color or lower income communities, they basically have what I call, she didn't call this, but a stick in the mud, right? So you got a you got a pole there with a sign on it, and that's all you get. And you don't get any protection from the elements. And what's crazy about that is they're the ones that'll be standing there because they have they have longer headways on the buses. They might be standing there for 30 minutes waiting for a bus in bad weather. Whereas in downtown, you know, it's on a higher headway and there's a building right there you could be standing in. So it really wasn't fair. It didn't make sense. It wasn't equitable. And so she said, you know, what we're trying to do now is push that more of our shelters go out outside of the downtown areas. And I thought that was brilliant and a beautiful way to help promote equity and inclusion, to give an extra um, something, you know, of, of our assets to help people who need it um, and who maybe rely on transit even more than people who could afford to do something else. And so those were like some simple strategic ideas. Then you've got the more kind of macroeconomic viewpoint that Alex Wiggins and Terry White talked about in New Orleans and Seattle, where they were seeing everything they did through the lens of equity. And so if they were going to do a reboot on a, on a bus network, they would take a look at the impact that might have on traditionally underserved communities or communities of color or lower income folks so that they would not move a route just based on only ridership, but they would also take into consideration the impact it would have on people who need it. And so uh, those are like larger viewpoints. And so all that's covered in the book. And it's great because, uh, you know, instead of me just talking in theory about what could be done, these are actual discussions of people who are actually doing it and seeing results right now. Yeah. yeah th thanks for that. And it's, one of the interesting things about this topic is it seems, I don't know, some of these topics seem so simple when you bring them up, like this idea of having coverage in areas where they need it the most and where they're likely standing in places without 
for a long time without an easy place to get cover elsewhere. And it's also the the inequities I I don't think are often a result of, you know, malicious intent or intentional decisions to exclude a given population. It's blind spots that often, you know, it's, it's, it's gaps in thinking, it's gaps in rationale or for whatever reason, right, that we, we have these inequities come up. But having these conversations about how do we identify these and proactively prevent making a poor decision that's going to lead to an inequity in the future, that seems like such an important topic as we're making public transportation decisions. Yeah, it does. And it really, I think, originates with uh, what we're focused on, right? Mm -hmm. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People begin with the end in mind. So if the end you have in mind is helping commuters get from the suburbs, and that's where the votes are and the money is for the politicians who fund transit, et cetera, that's where your focus is going to be. And so you're going to put most of your money and most of your resources into those type of services. If your focus is we want to create a more equitable society, Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that those who need it the most get it. Uh, we want to, you know, like I was around when ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, was implemented um, back in uh, the late 80s and early 90s when we were implementing it. And um, basically they said, the government said, we've got to create a civil right in order to make sure that people with disabilities get the care they need. They need it almost more than anyone because they're basically, you know, stuck at home. They can't get out unless they get mobility. They can't drive their own car, right? They can't even get on the bus because at the time buses didn't have, a lot of them didn't have lifts and all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to create a civil right. We're going to, we're going to force the issue. And, um, uh, and so public transit agencies did it and cre- and I spent most of my career working in paratransit. I mean, for five years, you know, I was the day-to-day director of operations for in Washington, D.C. for their paratransit service. And I saw the impact it made, you know, on mm. 10,000 people a day's lives where, you know, they could now become much more uh, productive uh, in what they're able to do, get the jobs, get the shopping, get the medical appointments, all that stuff. And I'm passionate about it. I, I really believe in the power of public transit to improve people's lives. And to me, this is the next iteration of that. This is taking people who need and rely on public transit. I mean, right, we saw it, Brandon, in the middle of the pandemic when there was lockdowns around the world and most transit agencies said, hey, if you're riding public bus in the main city, you can only ride if you're, quote, an essential worker. These are people who normally are mid to lower income, but they're the ones who were working at the power plant, working at the water plant, in the pharmacy tech, you know, cleaning up the hospitals, et cetera, working there as nurses, whatever. And um, they weren't the doctors and the, uh, you know, the the director of public uh, utilities at, in some city. There were people who actually really needed it. Mm-hmm. And yet we stayed at around 50% ridership. So that is really our core base customer base in public transit agencies. And so now we're saying it basically serve them better. You saw that they stuck with us through the pandemic uh, and they're going to need us more in the future. So it's really shifting the paradigm of public transit. It's shifting from a primary focus on commuters to, you know, know, we're going to keep them in mind, but on the front burner, we're going to move to the front burner of transit now, uh, a, a different quotient of success. And that success is the customer experience, the customer service, the people who need us the most. We're going to make sure we're there for them. Uh, we're going to provide that helping hand to them uh, to make sure that we are on time. You know, what I used to call the four North Stars of transit agencies, safe, efficient, reliable, and give world-class customer service. We're going to not just do that for our commuters now. We're going to do it for everyone and for a new bank of people that maybe haven't uh, been able to rely on public transit because we haven't put all of our resources on it. 
And so now, of course, we're, you know, like, yes, everybody wants to do this, but some agencies are saying, but I can't because I don't have drivers. So now we got to do that. But at least the head focus has changed, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I think that's a that's probably a great place to to leave it here, Paul. I really appreciate you you coming back on. Great hearing from you. Great, uh, yeah, getting an update. I think things have definitely evolved since uh, over the last couple of years since you, you made the last appearance on the Future Mobility Podcast. Excited about the book, so definitely check out the book. Conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. Check out Transit Unplugged, um, Paul. I guess any, anything from your side, clothing thoughts for uh, someone listening to this. I'm super excited about 2023 uh, when it comes to public transportation. I think that we have proven our worth and merit to society and that the policymakers and the funders have realized, hey, we need to elevate how we view public transportation. We need to see it not only as something worthy of more funding, but also as we make our decisions about what comes in priority, that where you know where our decisions are made, public transit isn't way down on the list of priorities anymore. It's higher in our list of priorities in our investments and on our policy decisions. So I'm enthusiastic going into 2023. And Brandon, thank you for the work you're doing, helping to promote um, all the things you're doing on your podcast as well when it comes to improving our world through public. I'm a transit evangelist, and that means you know I really believe in what we're doing, and I'm super excited about the role we're going to play in 2023. And looking forward to continue to collaborate with you wherever we can. Awesome. Thanks again, Paul. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. Cheers. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that special episode with Paul Comfort talking public transit, talking trends in 2023, decarbonization, improvements in efficiency, new technology being rolled out, and most importantly here, equity and inclusion. His new book. Check it out. Check it out. Transit and check out Transit Unplugged. And uh, yeah. Hope you enjoyed this this bonus episode here. More to come in less than one week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of tens to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast.